I'm going to, I was hoping this morning, tonight to welcome two people especially. Uh, the first one I can do, I can welcome George. But I was also um, hoping to welcome a friend of, of, of both George's and also of Alison's, a gentleman called Eno, who is flying in from Bulgaria to be here this weekend. But he's been slightly delayed and we are anticipating him arriving at nine o'clock. He's on the train, <laughs> so we will meet him tomorrow. Um, but during this week, um, I've been really praying for this weekend, really believing God that this is going to be an impactful time for us as a community. And I spoke to a lady in the church who has retired from being a school teacher uh, some years ago. And I said, yeah, we've got George Verwa coming the weekend. Oh, George Verwa, he spoke at my CU when I was at university. And he inspired me to go to the nations. And I was training to be a language teacher. And I went on two trips to Spain, inspired by George's words. And it's such an encouraging thing. And as was referenced earlier, those stories are multiplied over thousands and thousands of times. So we're so privileged to have George with us, to impact us by the power of the Holy Spirit this weekend. But I was also praying for George Verwa, George Birch, and Alison Birch, and Eno, that they, as they connect over this weekend, they are going to be inspired by the Spirit of God. And as that, as that word we just had, just to steward the future and what God has set before them. And that in future years, they're going to look back upon this weekend, upon this time in Durham, and think, yeah, God, God did whatever to propel us forward in the mission he had for us. So we're so pleased to have, uh, and to have George with us this, this evening, and we welcome him. And I'm going to ask George, our George, to introduce him. Thank you. So you're going to get two introductions, George. Um, I met George in 1965 on my way to Turkey via Belgium. But before I saw him in person, I listened to his tapes, and you had to listen to his tapes before you could join OM. So they were th- th- they were five-inch reels. They never uh, cassettes. Cassettes didn't exist. No cassettes. It was five-inch reels. And what I heard was earth-shaking, because I was a divinity I was a divinity student at a Bible college, and it was uh, ultra conservative, ultra dispensational, and ultra cessationist. And everything that George preached was from the Gospels. And you're not supposed to do that. You can't if you're cessationist. You can't do that because that doesn't happen anymore. The Gospels don't happen anymore. And, but he was talking about forsaking all and following Jesus. Forsake all. And it was shaking me inside. It was tearing me apart because that's not what I'd been taught. That's not what I lived in. And I had to, I had to leave that particular wonderful school, and I ended up in Turkey. But tonight, undergirding what George says, I think you will pick up forsake all and follow Jesus. And that's what George has done his whole life. Uh, in the early 60s, he came to this country as an American. 
and he wanted to launch a great crusade into Europe. They had to think of a special name for it for that summer, and it was Operation Mobilization. Well, that name stuck, but George, after that wonderful summer, didn't go back to America and open a big office. His feet stayed in England. Now, a lot of Americans can be Anglophiles. They get excited, nostalgic. They can think about, you know, the books that they've read. But George isn't that kind of an Anglophile. He sensed in his spirit that there was destiny in this country. Destiny. And so he stayed in this country for 60 years, and he's applied and applied and applied for British citizenship, and he got it just this last summer. That's wonderful. But tonight, I think, without exaggeration, George is here because he feels this church and you are walking into destiny, what God has for you. He believes that, and I believe it. Well, we could say a lot more. I just want to say a couple of things. Um, any one of ten things could make him a famous person. But as Christians, we try hard not to be famous, don't we? We try to stay humble and at the cross and forsake all. But he has floated multiple gospel ships, sailing around the world as we talk, multiple gospel ships. He has spread the word of God across the Indian subcontinent in 16 national languages. Peace with God by Billy Graham is read in every part of India in, that, in as many languages. And Alice and I went village to village saying, Parmeshwani Shod, which is Hindi for peace with God. And, uh, but now they're in a hundred countries. So if we could stay here all night, we could hear a hundred stories. George, we want to hear from you the, 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 the true story. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you very, very much. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you. I've been out of the leadership of OM next year. It'll be 20 years after 46 years, starting it from pretty well nothing. And when I arrived in Britain 60 years ago next month, um, we again started from nothing with almost no money, but we had the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who sends people. And I can tell you, the Holy Spirit had prepared uh, Britain for my visit and my meetings in those few years. I ended up actually living in India and on the ships for a number of years, but it's been back and forth to Britain. That's why I was turned down in my citizenship because my travel was too confusing. And... Um, Anyway, it's just, it's just a privilege at my age to still be able to share and be of sound mind. Um, so it's an honor. You can be, I'm 83. So, uh, yeah. But, um, you know, when you're my age, the invitations to speak, they drop. 
I mean, you, it's, you accept that. If, you know, if people think you're dead, they're not gonna, they're not gonna invite you. So I'm here partly really because of Allison and George, who knew that I was still very much alive. And, uh, and shared it with your leaders who already have a very similar vision. And, uh, I feel in some ways I'm speaking to the choir. But, um, I just, I just want to say with all my heart, God loves each one of you. I don't know if sometimes you feel a failure and feel that you've messed up and does he still love you? We found in our counseling ministry that a lot of our young people who joined OM were not sure that God loved them and that God, of course, wanted to use them. Perhaps that's even more what I'd like to say if I had only a few minutes. I do have a little more than that. But God wants to use you. And I believe that's one of the reasons that uh, he wants, he wanted me to be here. And some people are not happy about me uh, traveling yet with uh, COVID stalking around. But um, the Holy Spirit has sent me here. I have about 100,000 people who pray for me. <laughs> I'm humbled. And I just thank the Lord that he loves me. I've had a number of things that really uh, I feel sad about once I was... As, as a young teenager, I managed to get victory over the very early stage of getting into pornography. But uh, it, it, it followed me most of my life, different temptations, usually mainly just visual. And once I was in the woods in London, here I am, a Christian leader, a thousand people in, in OM, and I'm in the woods, and there was a pornographic not hard porn, but what we used to call girly magazines in my high school, uh, in a tree. It was hanging in a tree, and there were bullet holes through it. Now, it would be so wonderful now if I could give my victorious life testimony how in the power of the Holy Spirit, zap, the magazine disappeared. We have a God of miracles. But the fact is the magazine made a complete fool out of me, and I, when you're a idealistic kind of person, and I, I share about that in my new book, Confessions of a Toxic Perfectionist, when you have a failure like that, the enemy tries to wipe you out completely. I had a lot of other struggles, even intellectual struggles, and I didn't, many aspects of leadership that I didn't like, <laughs> but miraculously, biblically, as I walked out of that woods, of course, I didn't, I don't think I touched the magazine or certainly I left it there. I don't remember. But I knew God still loved me. I knew God still loved me. Years later, I had a worse experience uh, in the kind of magazine that I was tempted to buy, but I never, I never did. And I was in a toilet. I'll never forget it in Edinburgh. I had to speak at a major global meeting. They were there from all over the world. I was one of the main speakers. And there this magazine was left behind. Just, I guess it was on the floor. And again, the victory somehow was not there. And it 
blew me away, and I thought, I surely cannot preach tonight. I'm just the old verwer scumbag that I was at 17, and I ought to get away from all this and return to where I was. Of course, I rejected that idea immediately, and I knew God loved me. And that's one of the main reasons I, by God's grace, never missed a day of sharing and living for Jesus. I know he does love me. Many times I actually hate myself. And from my background, from my temperament, my perfectionist kind of home with a Dutch immigrant father, read about it in my book, so easily I get down on myself. And very quickly sense failure, very quickly get negative. But again and again, this book, God's Word, and the ministry of His Holy Spirit, that He loves me. And one of my favorite books, Failure, Backdoor to Success. Yeah. I've never read it. The cover just touched my heart. <laughs> Another story that has helped me in my struggles is uh, I think it came from Tony Campalo. Pray for Tony. He's very ill. I talked to him on the phone. He's he's really, I think, had some kind of stroke. He's really down, at least when I talked to him. A man who was so mightily used often in this country. I think one of the greatest guest speakers we ever had at an OM conference. When, you know, when Tony finishes speaking and uh, then I speak, I come across as so balanced... And so then some people like me, but, but he gives this story. You probably heard it, but it's ministered to me many times. It's the story of a little girl and a thunderstorm. If you've been following the news, America's had some terrible tornadoes, terrible thunderstorms. Anyway, the family was downstairs and she was up in the bedroom. But as the storm got worse, even the adults were a little nervous. And then they, were concerned about their little daughter, little six-year-old. They ran upstairs and opened the door, and there she was looking out the window. Another flash of lightning. They said, are you okay? They were so worried about her, they expected she'd be hiding under the bed, looking out the window. She said, I'm fine. I, I think God is taking my picture. Brothers and sisters, God is taking your picture. You are important. You might be mentally challenged. You may be physically challenged. You may have other weaknesses like me. uh, But you're important. And God has a plan for your life. And one of the hardest things, because of the opposition of the enemy, because of the spiritual warfare, one of the hardest things is often to find God's plan for your life. And it was hard for me uh, to especially start a whole new organization from nothing with this very strong radical message that was offending people. And um, we started practicing what we saw in the book of Acts. Uh, we all sold our possessions. And we began to live in, in you know, very hyper Simple lifestyle, a lot easier before you get married. So you can imagine what the first year of my marriage was like. And uh, there's even a film about that. You'd better not watch it. But 
God gave me the grace to take one step at a time. At first, it was Mexico. I was only 19, 6,000 kilometers away. And fear and trembling, we organized it. We purchased literature. It was all illegal and smuggled it into Mexico. And we we saw that God could use 19-year-old, still young Christians, to touch other people's lives. The response was unusual. And again, it changed the course of my life as I left university studies and went to this amazing institute, Moody Bible Institute, where I met so many missionaries and could study the Word of God. And it was there, reading about Iraq, hearing about Turkey. I realized there were countries completely left out of the mission thrust of that day. And God gave me the grace to start what originally was called Send the Light. But then when I was arrested by the Soviets for smuggling uh, and went for that day of prayer, he gave me the name Operation Mobilization, which I may talk a little bit about tomorrow. So there's the bottom line. I have a message, but God loves you. You're important. He wants to use you. He's taken in your picture. You're in a sense a full page in God's great history book in heaven. And I just pray that you will seek God's face. We're at the lowest level in a hundred years of missionaries going out, partly because of COVID, but also because so many churches made a decision, including many American churches, they will not send out missionaries. They've heard it's cheaper to support nationals. Uh, they've heard these horror stories about missionaries. One man wrote a whole book against missionaries. And this, uh, plus, you know, the increased cost of doing mission work and other factors has brought a great drop. Fortunately, in many countries where the church was already fairly strong, like our work in India, the nationals took up the task. But I made a list last week, as I do a blog every week on YouTube. There's about 30 nations where there are hardly any nationals. And so we need internationals. We need what are sometimes called expatriates. And we need to see a new thrust, a new thrust, yes, of young British missionaries. They may go as tent makers. They may go with their own skills. There's many different ways you can go. You can even get a job. It was so great to meet Angus, who had, actually had a fantastic job in Saudi Arabia. But, of course, the first step is, is to say, Lord, I'm available. Uh, almost every day I spend a time worshiping, singing hymns. And one of them I sing, which I, could, I wouldn't sing for you, is wholly available. I'm wholly available. Here am I. Send me. I hope you've prayed that prayer. We might look at it tomorrow. From Isaiah chapter 6. I want to just say a word about these books because it's a bit radical that the first two books, I insist, are free. They are a gift. You have to learn to receive gifts. To be honest, all over the world I've received gifts that often I did not want. Carrying some big artifact from Korea in my suitcase. But I learned to be polite. My wife has helped me. To be more polite. So I've received gifts. And I'm asking you to please receive a gift 
of it. The first two books of your choice are a gift. Of course, I'm hoping you're going to choose mine, but that's okay. I won't be monitoring it. And even if you're illiterate, you please take a book. You can give it away. And uh, my books you can put, like, under your, under the pillow. And, to, you know, maybe something will happen as you look at the title. Confessions of a Toxic Perfectionist. And uh, so the first two books are a gift. Please take them. And after that, we hope you will want more than two because many of the books are very small. But um, you can leave a donation after this second book. What are some of the books we're pushing? One, very much in line with what I just shared. Without this kind of book, I wouldn't have made it as a teenager through the sexual jungle. And this is a better than some of the ones that I read. Purity Principle by Randy Alcorn. The most influential book in my life, or maybe it's the second, is The Challenge of Missions. It gave me the vision for Afghanistan, which became one of our major fields of operation. I could write a book just about our 58 years in Afghanistan. And Afghanistan right now needs prayer. And we have former OM people that are headed back to Afghanistan right now. Uh, some are are, are there. They didn't, they didn't all run away. And this is the greatest period of history for Afghans. And there are thousands of them in this country. One friend of mine in Sam Batch said there's a hundred Afghans in the nearby hotel. And he had opportunities to minister to them. The whole vision, because hardly anybody was talking about Afghanistan in those days, came thanks to this man, Oswald J. Smith. And we've reprinted his book actually in India. And there, I was just looking today at the chapter about Afghanistan. One of the books that made such a huge impact in our movement is Calvary Road, a Christian classic. Very small book about brokenness, about humility, about the cross, the crucified life. And we need the fullness of the Spirit, but we also need the crucified life. It's not one or the other. In fact, it's a dynamic combination. Because as often as self is crucified, we're refilled with the Holy Spirit like Acts 4.31. So if I had only one book to choose, I'd probably choose Calvary Road. But 20 years ago, this book came into my life like a shower in New Delhi in the middle of May. Grace Awakening has upset a lot of narrow-minded, judgmental people. And... Um, it's a big book. You don't have to read the whole thing. I actually started in the middle. And uh, it was a little confusing. But uh, <laughs> oiling, your, oiling your marriage through grace. But my favorite chapter, graciously disagreeing and pressing on with the way our fragmented culture is, which affects churches. We're never going to all be on the same page on all these different issues that come at us especially sometimes from us preachers. And so we've got to learn how to graciously disagree and press on. Only during lockdown did I discover how many areas my wife is not happy about me. <laughs> I've, I've lived one-third of my life away, and now we've been together often alone, and we both work at home as well. And she's... Uh, pointed out these areas of weakness 
that exists in my life. I don't want to go into detail because I might start crying, but I surely, I surely need prayer. And I just thank the Lord that I'm graciously disagreeing uh, with my wife. Fortunately, not, not too many major issues, but we did have, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you, we had a collision. We've been praying more than ever together. And she prays the same prayers and she seems to repeat the same thing, especially for the grandkids. I'm tired of praying for the grandkids. And, and so I interrupted her last night and tried to correct her prayer. That was a big mistake. That was a big mistake. And so I'm hoping she will reread this book. Anyway, I've got to shift. I've got to shift gears, so let's just pray. Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you. You do love us, even when we're irritated with ourselves. And we ask for the grace to receive what you have for us this evening and throughout the weekend, especially in connection with our future, and especially, Lord, for the younger generation who are involved with us here. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to just share in my first session with you just seven words that God put onto me for 2022. By the way, last year I wrote an evangelistic leaflet. I've hardly ever done that in my life. Uh, I've got copies, and it's about climate change. And non-Christians will read this. You read it, and there's only samples, but if you want more, I'd send it to you. And I wanted to share with you just these thoughts that I've wrestled with. And I've, I think I may have shared it on my blog. Seven vital words, principles for the new year. We're still early, aren't we, in 2022. So it's not too late to give the challenge of the new year. People are often very cynical about New Year's resolutions. But as believers, we don't have to be cynical about that. We can make decisions, whether it's New Year's or at some other time. We can make decisions, and we can see that change. One of the things that's encouraged me is that I've been able all my life to keep making changes, corrections. And in the minds of those I'm responsible to, uh, who have to evaluate my ministry, by God's grace, improvements. So it's not too late to make some decision about your life, your habits, the time you spend with prayer, the time you spend sharing, uh, even at this middle of January. Seven words, because I know one year from now, you will not remember much of what I've said. You probably remember that I was too loud, though I I couldn't compete with your music, and uh, (laughs) and probably you probably remember that I have this global jacket. It doesn't really make an impact anymore. People, uh, oh, Global Jackie, he's been wearing that for a hundred years. But I tell you, when I take my trousers down and show my global underwear, things really begin to happen. Yeah. I actually did that. It was a once in a lifetime experience. As, as word got back to my wife. Anyway, I'm hoping that a year from now you might remember at least these seven words. The first word, the most important word, Jesus. Jesus. 
It's more important than it may sound when I just first say it, because we're living in a day when Christians are losing their focus. Especially in my own birth country of the United States. I've never seen such an avalanche of Christians losing their focus. Their main focus now is is politics and saving the country. As if somehow America was the kingdom and now the kingdom is falling. It's false teaching, false teaching from day one. America was born out of the barrel of a gun. Today, what they did would be considered terrorism. And yet, of course, it's honored as the great patriotic birth of a country. I talk about this quite a bit in my book, Messiology, of which is over a 100,000 in print, of how all society is always messy. All nations always have a mess factor. And we have to realize how God works through that. We become then less judgmental. Be careful of this cancer, a cancel culture philosophy, which is just completely unbiblical. And many, many non-Christians have also exposed it. Got exposed especially recently in Italy. God worked in the midst of the human mess. Yes, colonialism. We can easily see the wrong. But for someone to write a whole book against William Carey because he was a tool of colonialism, one of the greatest men of God India has ever known, is pure, unadulterated, toxic folly, which I talk about in my latest book, Confessions of a Toxic Perfectionist. And so I just urge you, whatever else is bothering you or or of concern to you, and it's okay to have concern about a wide range of things, your focus is Jesus. Act, uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race looking on to Jesus. More time fellowshipping, more time praying, more time singing the great hymns or the new songs, whatever causes you to focus more on him. I read through the whole Bible again during lockdown. And what a, what a challenge, what a challenge to see God working in the, especially in the Old Testament, also the New Testament. God generally working in the midst of messy situations. And if you don't think there were messy situations in the Old Testament, you obviously have not read it. And many, many people in our day have not read the whole Bible. I've read it a number of times. It's just been so important in my life. But the second word is the word vision. And I believe this is one of the reasons God's given me the privilege of sharing. uh, Because I've never had a day without a vision. Never had a day in which I didn't know, as far as I can remember, what I should do. Because the vision was big. That everybody in the entire world gets the gospel at least once. And I did research and I read books and I interviewed missionaries. Never did I dream that someday I would visit 100 nations. Never did I dream someday I would launch a ship and then another ship and another ship and another ship that would give the gospel to 100 million people, 45 million up the gangway. But it all goes back as a young Christian to having that Biblical vision. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. 
Ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Matthew 9, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth workers into the harvest. This gripped me as a young Christian and was there almost on a daily basis. And it started very small. It started me giving out gospel tracts in the streets of New York City where I came to Jesus. I'll share about tomorrow. And then go, when I was in my college before I went to Moody, going to the jail, going in, ministering to children, going into bus stations and doing personal evangelism, giving out tracts. My whole life was just consumed by giving the gospel where I was and trying, of course, to mobilize for the nations. So that second word is the word vision. I want to ask you, do you have a vision? Do you have a vision for the nations? I think that's what is part of the whole DNA of this church. But you can be in a church that has that as its DNA, but not have taken it into your own personal situation. Maybe because of problems and complexities. And believe me, the Lord understands that. And the Lord understands that some of the vision and ideas you have for the future may not happen immediately. It may be quite a long road before some of you actually get out to Saudi Arabia or Yemen or Mongolia or North Korea. But when you have that vision, that seed, it gives God the open door to do more in your life. Brother Andrew, who, by the way, is 10 years older than me, he's hardly functioning. He's still alive. Brother Andrew, God's smuggler, close friend. He was known among people who knew both of us. Brother Andrew, God's smuggler. Brother George, who also tried that same thing. God's bungler. Yeah. I was caught in the second day I was caught by the KGB and accused of being a spy. It wasn't funny. And, and they promised sort of all expenses paid a holiday in Siberia. But maybe they decided that would be too expensive. So they, it was after that experience that I went in for the day of prayer when God gave me the vision of Britain and God gave me the vision of Operation Mobilization to see Europeans mobilized. The dream was that in one summer we'd give the gospel to 25 million people, unheard of in the history of Europe. And to be honest, we didn't quite make the target, but we got very close and there were only 200 of us. And the next summer there were two thousand vision the third word i share with you which you knew i was going to share is the word discipleship i believe one of the reasons om and many former omers have stayed so focused and so so uh, healthy in their uh, witness and in their ministry is because our first emphasis was spiritual formation to use a new term but in our day, discipleship. And we always combine discipleship with revival. That's why Calvary wrote that book about revival was such an important part and the work of the Holy Spirit. And as a movement, we're greatly indebted to the charismatic movement, which the modern charismatic movement is completely parallel uh, with, with Operation Mobilization, especially here in Great Britain. It's, it's, it's an incredible story. And so we were able to be blessed through what God was doing 
in that very unusual work. But in the end, it's seeing people come into maturity. Whatever name you want to put on it, discipleship, spiritual formation, spiritual growth. And I believe that will help us be effective in evangelism and mission. In the last years, we've seen too many missionaries crash. And study would show that in many cases, they missed that message of the cross. And they missed that, that basic discipleship training. And I believe that OM's place in history is giving young Christians a chance on a one or two year program to be discipled, to learn about prayer, to learn about disciplined living, to learn how to repent and apologize, get in the word and know the reality of Jesus. And I believe this is why the Holy Spirit is still sending young people, even during COVID, still sending young people to our ship because the OM ship is discipleship. And people and tens of thousands have had that training, are working in almost every area of society. About 200,000 have served with OM, 25,000 British and when we were doing some estimates, it seemed about 25% were in leadership. One woman prayed. You'll hear that story tomorrow. I came to Jesus and God's Holy Spirit took it and used it in a way we never dreamed. So my third word is discipleship. My fourth word, you knew this one was coming as well. And I won't keep you much longer. You're such a beautiful, patient audience. And uh, the fourth word is mobilization. Until I got that word from the Holy Spirit in the top of the tree praising Jesus after being arrested by the Soviets, the word was never used in the church. It's a military term. It was used in the war, mobilizing the troops. And we know all the horror of war. But I believe God took that word and bathed it with his grace and has used it to mobilize tens, perhaps even hundreds of thousands, as it's one of the most widely used terms now in the missionary world. And I just pray that you're committed to mobilization. We need missionary, visionary people like your leaders and your elders who are here just as much as we need people to go It's not either or. It's the Holy Spirit leading different people in different ways. But if we don't have the kind of church and fellowship that you represent, and we are greatly lacking this kind of fellowship in Britain today, and traveling up and down the nation for 60 years, and in personal correspondence with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Brits, I know a little bit about what's going on. And generally, the mission emphasis is going downhill. And in the student world, the ignorance is at the highest level I've ever known. And of course, we're not blaming people, but we know this is a work of the enemy so that these unreached people and unreached nations never do hear. And many people who profess faith don't even talk to a Muslim who lives right at the end of their street. We have three million Muslims in this country. We have one million Hindus. And we... You know, we still hear Christians say negative things 
about people of other races, people who eat different food, people who dress differently. How can this be among God's people? We need, yes, revival. We need people to, to get on their face and realize their own toxic factor. Even what's going on daily, if you read the newspapers as I do and follow the news, we see what I call toxic perfectionism exploding on every side. Do we expect non-Christian leaders in our nation not to make stupid mistakes? He who doesn't, he who has never made a stupid mistake, please raise your hand at this time. I'll not take the survey. But I surely am in that camp. And this is why I wrote my new book, touching on what I think is such a major, major subject. I want to ask you, will you be a mission mobilizer? Sharing the vision of missions with others and distributing literature that can help and films that can help people understand global missions and the challenge of it. And then my fifth word is the word grace. I've already touched on it, I think, through my whole talk because grace is so important. And I'm just going to move on. But I can just say this. In our own movement about 20 or 30 years ago, and in my own life, we experienced a grace awakening. And we became less judgmental, less legalistic, and quicker to forgive, quicker to listen. I wonder how many of you husbands are good listeners. My wife feels that I'm weak in this area. At, uh, some time ago, she was going on about something of which I had no interest. And she stopped and she said, you know, I forget what she called me. I think, I guess, darling. And she said, you know, why are you listening to me? Of course, immediately my ego locks into place. Darling, of course I, I listen to you. Then she said, think of it, what did, what did I say? And instead of humbling myself, I said, you know, I don't feel it's fair to go into the details. <laughs> if any of you, if any of you husbands are scoring a hundred percent on listening, maybe you could send me by email some of your secrets because I'm still a learner. I'm still a learner. Grace, a grace awakening in our marriages. That chapter I referred to, oiling your marriage through grace. And I say this with honesty. Being a father, being a husband, being a grandfather, being a great-grandfather of six has been a bigger challenge than directing operation mobilization for 46 years. It's different, and maybe I shouldn't compare it, but I thank Jesus for grace to be the father and grandfather and great-grandfather that I believe he wanted me to be, and that my family generally loves me and accepts my imperfections. We must learn to live with one another's imperfections, and grace is a great part of the answer. And then we're getting toward the, we're getting toward number seven. Six is messiology. It's a new word, isn't it? New word, messiology. It does not exist. 
I invented it. I'm an inventor. And I invented the word messiology based on a proverb. I was always reading the book of Proverbs, so I started to write my own. My first proverb, yeah, really, my first proverb, which is it's not going to be in the Bible. I don't know how to go about that. But my first proverb is where two or three, and I've quoted this all over the world. Nobody's hardly ever countered it. Where two or three of the Lord's people are gathered together, sooner or later, there's a mess. Now, some of you older ones, have you ever had a messy situation among the Lord's people? Raise your hand. We've got a lot of hands. The young, the younger ones are just sort of stunned. <laughs> What's going on here? And then God in His mercy gave me this, this, it's sort of a different theology. Because it's a different understanding of God and the way He works in all the various periods of history which is important, especially if you're a history student, which I was at university. So I'd urge you to pick up my little book, Messiology. And I'm able to cut 10 minutes out of the message right now. <laughs> and my seventh word is the word, God bless you. <laughs> my seventh word is the word proactive. Isn't that a good word? Now, the old-fashioned word is perseverance. And I just thank the Lord for people that persevere. This has been a hard week for me in many ways. I've had a friend go to heaven literally every single day in the last seven days. I've been involved with a lot of people. But one of the greatest encouragements was my friend, Hall Crowder, who went to heaven this week. His denomination was totally American, totally against anybody joining OM. They're very narrow. And we managed to recruit him out of that denomination. I don't even know how it happened. And two of his daughters. And I stayed in his home. Maybe that helped way, way back. And Hall persevered. He's a man of God. I followed him all these years. He persevered. He pressed on. He just went to heaven at 102. 102. Boy, I tell you, I love to fellowship with those over a hundred. No, it's my favorite group. When I come away from the nursing home visiting one of my hundred-year-old friends, whoo, I just feel, I feel like a teenager ready, ready to win a, win a rugby match. And I close just with this. If a character like me with so many struggles, a doubting Thomas, You've heard some of it. You can read more about it in my books. Can persevere every day to 83 years of age. Nobody has an excuse. I'm just reading a great article by Andy uh, Andy Stanley. Throw the whole excuse thing out. Throw the excuse thing out and get with it in radical obedience to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these seven motivating, challenging, biblical words, biblical principles. There's dozens of verses we could read and quote for each one of these challenges and pray that we will receive what your Holy Spirit has for us. In Jesus' name, amen.